Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, Billy, we're talking here about a wonderful clothing line that you and I both enjoy. Viore. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash onion. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash onion. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any US order over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash onion and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Harmonize with me and hold me tight All through the night, you're shining bright I'm your oyster, baby, you're my pearl Hello, listener, my old friend We have come to talk to you again Because I'm sitting here with my friend Billy And later on we'll get quite silly And the podcast that you're listening to is fun. It's very fun. It's the sound of the friendship onion. Simon and Garfunkel, eat your heart out. Hello, guys. Hello. Which We're one here. would you be? Oh, that's a tough question, you know, because I think they both have some real brilliance about them. Yeah, they do. You have a much more refined singing voice than me which puts you in the Art Garfunkel place, but then you're also a great songwriter, which puts you in the Paul Simon place. So I think I just... So I'm both of them. I think you're both. <laughs> and I'm like a jilted lover. No, you've let yourself down there. there My favourite thing is, what's the album where Paul Simon is in front of Garfunkel? Yeah, we talked about this, didn't we? It's uh, where they're on the street together. Yeah. Is it Bridge Over Troubled Water? It might be Bridge Over Troubled Water. And if you put your thumb over Paul Simon's face, try this at home. Please. Then it looks like Art Garfunkel has a really long moustache. <laughs> Brilliant. Here's something to do at home. Simon Welcome to the Friendship Onion. Welcome to the Friendship Onion, you guys. Hope everything's going well. I have a question for you right off the bat. Because Go. I've been struggling with this all week. And um, I wondered if you knew, you know, when you see a big truck or lorry for people in in britain back home driving on the street very often they're not driving on all their wheels sometimes a pair of wheels will be elevated oh yeah when would you put those other wheels down i think i know the answer to this Tom. when you put a weight into the back so see he was collecting sand from a building site he he puts in you know Three tons of sand. Yeah. We'll need more wheels, or we're going to bust the ones we've got. Ah, it's a weight-bearing thing. Yeah, a I think lo- a load-bearing. Yeah, thing. right. Okay. Well, great. I think that's a great answer. That was my that was my burning question for the day. Well, that's a great way to start this week, and this week is a very exciting week, Tom, mm. because we've got a fantastic guest on. Yes, tell them. Tell them. You sure you don't want to tell them? Why don't I do the first word and you do the last one? All right. Stephen Colbert. (gasps) 
Stephen Colbert, who we were lucky enough to go and visit him in New York and do his show, which you can find on YouTube. And we had a fantastic time. And during the show, Billy said, will you do our podcast? And Stephen said, yes. And he is a man of his word. And he's coming on today. And I think he's quite angry with me because I uh, think I'm the first person to stump him Mm. with a Lord of the Rings question. Yes, yes. Um, Where in Fangorn Forest do the Ents hold their Entmoot? That's easy, it's Durndingle. You got it! Easy. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I, it's, only, it's only easy when you know the answer. And exactly. uh, Billy and I have talked about this before. We think that probably that question was so astute because why would you need to remember that answer? It's a throwaway answer. Yeah. You're very smart when you think about it. I am quite smart, but it's way, way deep, deep in my brain, my yeah. smartness. Yeah. Well, and I keep the other stuff at the surface. You keep more of the whimsy up top, and the real genius sits down in your gut. Yeah. But I've seen it, I've spied it, and it's yeah. happy. Well, should we get Stephen on? Why wouldn't we? Let's Stephen Colbert. You've joined us on our podcast. And we could it's not be happier. You're a man of your I'm word, happy. Stephen, which is great. You said it on the show, and Billy and I thought, wow, we've goosed him because he said it on TV. We've got him. But you've actually come through. Yeah, we didn't think you would come. No. That was, sometimes it's, it's, it's what I call a TV yes. Mm-hmm. Someone will ask me to do something. But I'll say on TV, I'll say that's a TV yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we were which just mean- talking about that. There's some parts of America that uh, people will just say yes to make you feel better that they haven't said no. Mm. And uh, some of our listeners were saying Minnesota are well known for that. They're very and nice. They call something a, called Minnesota nice. There you go. That's what they were talking That's what about. That's they were talking about. Well, we thought yeah. you were being Minnesota nice. Yeah. And I no, actually... I'm not, I'm not that nice. I got caught, which is fine. I totally embraced it. But I got caught in, in a kind of TV yes or a filmic yes from... Peter Jackson, I don't know if you know this story. I think you were there that night. Right. But the night that Lord of the Rings won, did the cl- the clean sweep of Oscars, we then went to the One Ring party. Yep. And you sang and I sang and everyone was up on stage. And Pete Jackson pulled me up on stage and said, there is a prank that Dom plays on Elijah Wood that we're hoping to put in the DVD and ask me then on stage in front of like 3,000 people, will you give us permission to do it? Because I guess I might have been able to say, well, no, I'm going to block that. Uh. So I went, "Uh, yeah, great, which I would have done anyway. And he did the same to Mark Odesky that night because he said, where is going to be the next big Lord of the Rings party? And Odesky went, Wellington, New Zealand. (laughs) So he's a smart man. Yeah, he's a smart man. He's a smart man, that Peter Jackson. The last time we spoke, Pete, uh, Stephen, you were you were in that uh, uh, background with all of your Lord of the Rings bookcase. Now you're in a different background. Where do we find this? Is my office? This is my office at the uh, at the Ed Sullivan building, Uh, not the theater. This is the build office building associated with it. This is this this everything behind me was um, reproduced for my little storage room theater, my storage room studio that we had on the eighth floor here. We, We tried to reproduce this look. Nice. Right there. I've got felt, this lovely cloth felt wallpaper, which is just lovely. That's fantastic. Now, I think a lot Very of people warm. who don't don't know about Late Night, I've, I've become friendly with, with Jimmy Kimmel over the years. 
Um, but I think a lot of Ray, people... that's all I have time for. Um, okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, you well done, well done, Tom. <laughs> but a yeah. lot of people who don't know late night might assume that you come in, you know, half an hour before, get your suit on, do the show. But you, you guys have a full day at work before that, right? Could you just talk right. us through what a day at work looks like before the show and everything? Yeah. Um, well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you what sort of the platonic ideal is, because right now we're still in this odd hybrid situation mm-hmm. between the COVID quarantine and being back at the theater, because not all of my staff is back all the time, because they, we're all scattered to the four winds for 15 months, and they're slowly coming They're slowly coming back in. Sure. We probably won't all be together till the fall. Um, what happens is, is that uh, starting at... Lord, what is the what is it now? The writers get together at nine for a little uh, a pre-pitch pitch to each other, where they talk through ideas. They we have a breakdown that gets done early in the morning. So when I wake up, there's a news breakdown of basically what's being talked about, you know, all around the country. Yeah. Um, some stories are very reasonable. Mostly they're 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 broad news stories. Some more intense. Some sort of sillier. But I have page after page of a breakdown, and I've gotten one the night before too. Basically, like the night before, before I go to bed, my executive producer will have sent out like, "Hey, if nothing else happens by the time we wake up in the morning, if the national conversation changes in no way, here's six things we could talk about tomorrow." Mm-hmm. And a lot of those things, basically, we try to beat them with a little bit more currency of what happened today. Mm. In the morning, my head of research, uh, uh, Brandon Marianacci, who came from Real News, we stole him from Anderson Cooper over at CNN. He has a long breakdown of what, like, what a little bit deeper dives into each of the stories, some of which got sent out the night before. Some are new things that have developed. Some of the things that we, events that we know are happening later in that day, you know, yeah. whether they're like a press conference or something like that. And then, and he has silly stories too. And then everybody pitches on those at 9.30. Like, here's jokes I've got on this idea. And generally speaking, between the 9 o'clock show and the 9.30 show, the head writers have corralled, I mean, the pitch rooms, 9 a.m. pitch and 9.30 pitch. The head writers, uh, Jay Katzier and Ariel Dumas, have corralled those ideas into stories. Like, let's tell the story to Stephen and the other executive producers. This is how we see the story being told today, mm-hmm. with jokes. And then that goes on for about an hour, at the end of which I generally leave it to my creative exec, Tom Purcell. He goes, these are the six stories because we usually have six teams of two writers apiece, and they, that switches wow. up all the time. And those those six people, those six teams, will go off and write these six stories. Uh, four of which might make it into the show, you know. Wow. And if it, if they're big stories, maybe it's like two mm. might make it into the show because there's a lot to explicate. There's a lot to open up mm-hmm. on on a on a story. And I'd say our monologues are a little different than other people because it's not so much like a single like data point and a punchline is that we basically tell the story of mm. tell the story of the national conversation today back to the audience yeah you know yeah, we, we, yeah. Do, we tell a little longer stories than the other guys do we do a longer monologue so, i mean last night i did 15 and a half minutes or something wow. and generally they're like they're like eight they're like eight minute monologues mm-hmm. uh, classically um so that that meeting goes on those writers then have an hour and a half to go get a draft out I will then go over to our cold team, which is there's six people, we call them cold team six, and they work on the cold open of the show every day. There's a new cold open every day. 
and they really have a gun to their head because they have to deliver something less than a minute that is about something that happened generally in the last 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And then I work with them usually for half an hour. Then I do like the, the business end of show business where I talk to my my showrunner, which is sort of like the managing executive producer of the show. Mm -hmm. And he and I talk about, well, I don't know, business budgets and staffing and mm -hmm. the network and mm -hmm. schedules and all that kind of stuff. And I, I try to stay involved in that um, to a lesser degree, but I don't, I don't want that to just sort of happen without any input from me. Mm -hmm. And then that, by the time that's over, it's time for me to start talking to my guest um, uh, producers, the people who are in the talent, the people who would have interviewed. I don't know who your producer was. Do you remember who your producer was? When you guys You're were good on? with names normally. <sighs> Gosh, I wish I could remember. Two young a ladies. Man, a woman. Two young ladies, uh, brunettes. Was it um, Allie and, and uh, Carly? No, oh, was it so. was it uh, Caroline? Um, was it Caroline? Was it Dom? Mm. Was it Dom? No, <laughs> no, no uh, I wouldn't remember. They were very uh, good. Uh, yeah, they are. They're all very good. Anyway, so I'll talk with them. Billy, two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're thirty-five. Well, that is a lot of men, Dom. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, who will help with that? Keeps. They have something, they keep it very simple, stress-free, and a way to keep your hair. Mm. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You don't even need to leave your home. And it's low cost. Treatments start at just $10 a month and Keeps offers generic versions. Now, you might be feeling a little self-conscious about getting that sent in the mail. Who knows, maybe your neighbours are having a little looky-loo, something like that. Don't worry, it's all sent to you in discreet packaging and they have proven results. And here's the thing, Dom. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you better act fast. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash onion to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash onion to get your first month free. keeps.com slash onion. Tom. Billy. If only it was possible to get a list of great candidates the moment you post a job online. Well, Dom, it is, with indeed Instant Match. The moment you post a sponsored job, you get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all your hiring in one place, even the interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash onion. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash onion. Indeed.com slash onion. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. I'll talk with them about like who are the guests tonight. 
And what might we talk about? Like, have you had a conversation with them already? Will right. the pre-interview go? We'll, we'll do a little plan of like, what order in which I want to talk about things. And then after that, it's really time for me to shower and shave right. and get into the old monkey suit. And um, I go down to the theater at three o'clock and we, we, um, oh, I might, in between there, I might have like a field piece or something to look at. I might go to an edit room or something like that, look at something we're going to roll into the show mm-hmm. and then give, give my notes. Um, there might be some questions from the writers or the editorial level of writing, the execs who've been assembling the script saying, Hey, it's a, it's a bake off between this idea and that idea. Which one is more appealing to you? Mm-hmm. They might have to make some, there might be some production decisions that have to be made earlier because if we make changes later in the day, there isn't time because we're up against this very hard 5.30 time every day. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely the clock on the wall. The hands are spinning like one of those meat cutters at a deli. Just, they're just spinning so fast and you can't go backwards on any of your decisions because there won't be any time right. to rethink. You have to like be able to make decisions and just live with whatever that decision was. Yeah. So sometimes they need to make me to me to make a decision. Then I do the rehearsal and that then that's a nice relaxed atmosphere. Some of the staff will be in the room. Sometimes John Baptiste will be there, you know, playing the piano, listening, yeah. to the, listening. sometimes not. And uh, I'll just do the whole monologue. And generally speaking, if I'm hoping to do between a 13 and a 15 minute monologue, I'll probably do 20 minutes of material. So we have to cut, you know, maybe seven minutes out of it. Yeah. And then there's a second act, which is usually a little long. And it's usually something a little sillier, not as topical, maybe conceptual. And then, and then we've got the guests or a band or a comic or something like that. And that I don't really think about again until they're right out there. Right. So, so right before they come out. But there might be altogether 25 minutes of material that I perform. Mm. Wow. And I'm in my suit and I don't do it full presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of mark it. Yeah. I get the rhythm of it. I might improvise a little bit to find my own joke, get it my own, my own mouth feel, as I like to call it. Mm. Yep. And then we'll do some of the rewriting on the fly going, I don't understand that joke. What's the intention here? What's that mean? Why does this at the same time, the cold team will come in and present the cold. Hopefully they have two to make one, as we call it. Like they give you two options for today, but sometimes it's just one to make one and you got to make it work. Right. Sometimes it's fine. Other times there's a little, that takes a lot of time because it didn't work. Okay. You have to have one. So we'll have to grind in the moment on what is it? What will it be? What do we have? Anything in the hopper? Anything that's not topical? Mm. Generally not. Mm. And we sometimes that has to be hammered out for a long time before we can let them leave the room. So we know we don't have to think about it again. Yeah, mm. yeah. And then it'll just be ready when the show goes up. Mm. Sometimes I don't see it again until the audience sees it. Mm. And and then we go downstairs underneath the stage uh, where our rewrite room is. And we rewrite 25 minutes of material in about an hour, which is a very fast process. Mm. So, you know, you've got about two and a half minutes for every minute you need to rewrite. Mm. So you're reading it, thinking about it, assigning it to the writers who are upstairs in the, or in their writer's room which is way upstairs, like on the 14th floor. Mm. So it's like many, 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 many floors away from me. But there's a writer in the room who's translating it over the internet to them saying, this is what we need. There's a spy cam in the room. So somebody from up, up there can watch us in the room rewrite. So in case we need to like literally talk to someone immediately, yeah. 
There's screens up there showing us the graphics on one, showing video on the other, and then there's a whole big screen that has the script on it. And we run it through this program called Scripto, which is a collaborative script writing software where everyone in the building can work on the script at the same time, mm. and everything immediately gets formatted for every different department in the way they need it. And all tra all changes are tracked, and we can time we can time dial through and go, fuck it. It was better half an hour ago. And we can literally take it back a half an hour and be right there. Wow. And we make a lot of changes in a short period of time. I'm sorry this is such a long answer. No, it's great. It's fascinating. So we make a lot of changes in a short period of time. And then the last thing I do is I, I, we, we make sure we don't have any more TKs to come. K with a, come with a K. Right. To come. No more TKs or dollar signs, we call them. No more dollar signs in there, which means these are jokes that need to be replaced or improved. Right. right. And then once that's all done, then I read down the whole script. Wow. Very fast. Mm. Like uh, I read, it, I read it this fast. Second city email. That's like that. That's how fast I might read a page because right. I just want to get the map in my head. Not yeah. I don't want to perform it. Right. I want to perform it up there. Yeah. yeah, I want to get the map in my head, so I'm not really looking at the screen when I'm right. talking. I'm actually looking at the lens. Yeah, yeah, and I'm or I'm looking at the audience. I don't want to have to think where is this joke going or how does this connect to the next thing. So I read maybe a 15 or 13 minute script down in two and a half minutes. Right. Yeah. Just to get it in my bones know where I'm going, look ahead, you know, look over the mountaintop to the next valley of the next joke. And then, um, and the last thing we might go is like, is there anything we're missing? Like there's somebody there the whole time. Generally my, my showrunner exec, who's along with a researcher saying, is anything happening right as we're rewriting this, that is going to consume the conversation tonight and we don't want to be left out. Right. Wow. And with the old guy, the old president, that happened all the time. Yeah. He used to have like a he'd have like a five o'clock press conference. Right. And we would say, fuck it. Throw out everything. Right. And then we would write we have to go up at five thirty. So then we would write a fifteen minute monologue in half an hour right. from scratch. <laughs> and that was insane. We don't like doing that anymore. Well yeah. we don't do we don't do that anymore because it just the speed has decreased. Like talk about heart palpitations. <laughs> right. Like we're our arrhythmia. We're back in a normal human right. rhythm now. You got grown up and, in the house. And then and then I go perform it. Somebody comes and knocks on the door, and uh, I go out. My assistant says, "Here's where the guests are," or "This guest hasn't arrived." I might go say hi to the guest beforehand. Um, uh, I, I'm told if there's any like elaborate propage I need to use during the show, like mm. where it is and mm. <clears throat> how to work it or whatever. Mm. Um, I might get touched up for hair and makeup. Then I go upstairs. I shake everyone's hand backstage. And I say, have a good show. And anyone who walks through, even if I don't know them, they have to stop and I have to say, have a good show to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because no one's allowed to be around me without me without getting that from me. So right. superstition thing, Stephen, is that? Yeah, I guess so. It's superstition and just sort of positive vibe. Right, right, right. You know, because I'm out there to make a connection with the audience. And so I want to take a moment to actually say, to everybody backstage and mean it. Have a good show. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't have another shot to do this material. Right. One of the things that struck me when I got into television was because I started in straight theater and then cabaret comedy, you know, yeah. improv comedy in a cabaret setting or sketch comedy. 
and you do it over and over again every night and you'd find new nuance or new way to play it or yeah. or a new relationship with the other people on stage and then when i started doing tv i was shocked i was disheartened it kind of was heartbreaking where you would do it and they go okay great let's move on i'm like i never get to do that again that's it but how, how could it possibly be as good as it needs to be right. yeah i didn't right. i didn't just we didn't rehearse right right you know it's tv right. we ran the lines that's all we did right. so how could this possibly be good yeah. but it's and, a different headspace right it's uh yeah it totally is yeah and so i want to get i want to get in this um it's like a high wire feeling. Uh -huh. right, right. I'm going to confidently walk across this wire in just a moment. Mm -hmm. And the first thing to do is just to tell everybody have a good show and to give that out like little candy backstage, yeah. make that little connection. The last person I, I shake my, um, uh, I, I guess he's my A2, my sound guy putting on my, uh, mm -hmm. my pack, mm -hmm. shake his hand last. And then I slap myself in the face hard <laughs> twice. And I've said this before, this is a revelation. I slap myself in the face hard twice. I oh. take off my glasses to do it so I can really do it. Oh, wow. And I do that. Hey, I do that. Because you're a bad boy. To be, well, kind of to be in the moment. Like, right. wake up. Yeah. Don't, you're tired right. or you're thinking about where you're going to dinner later. No, right. this is it. Only do this for the next hour. Yeah. And I, and I slap myself in the face and I know I've slapped myself hard enough. <laughs> If I regret having done it, <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant, and that's that's my rule. I have to go like, wow. eh, that wasn't hard enough. That didn't really hurt. That's a lot of slaps so, over the years. So dude. it is two a night at least, and then because uh, it's twice each time, I just sets it to. Yeah, and then uh, and then John introduces me. John Baptiste introduces me. I go on stage, take questions from the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Meow, meow, meow. I've got the say. I've got certain things that I say to the audience every time because I want to know how good of an audience they are. Mm. Right. And I've got a few things that, I mean, they're not the greatest jokes in the world, but they're about the audience and they're about what's happening exactly in that moment between us. Yeah. You know, and I know things that'll make an audience laugh. Right. And, and I can gauge from their reaction how hard I have to work. That's in the first few minutes of the monologue brilliant. because if they're really good i immediately go out and i just start riding the wave of their own energy and i actually leave stage with more energy than i want to walk on yeah but yeah. if they're not good then you kind of have to staple them to your nutsack and drag them over <laughs> the finish line of the monologue but that's the gig you know it doesn't matter but i want to know before sure. i walk out what it is and then the last thing i do is i shake my stage manager's hand mark mckenna who i've worked with forever I shake his hand and I say, have a good show. And he says, have a good show. Mm -hmm. And if it's a particularly hard show, like really ambitious show mm -hmm. um, or a live show, something like that, uh, I'll say, uh, you got a stick of Beeman's? Do you know that reference? No. no. It's from the right stuff. You guys what? You got a stick of Beeman's. Oh, no. Beeman's no. is an old style gum. It was this old gum. It's still, they still make it, but nobody uses buys it anymore. Yeah. Beeman's gum. Right. And in the right stuff, Chuck Yeager, who, of course, is breaking the sound barrier in Galloping, in Glamorous Glennis, um, before they drop him for his rocket ride to try to break the sound barrier, every time he tries, he says to his number two, you got a stick of Beeman's? Oh. And the guy says, I think I might. And he goes, well, loan me one. I'll pay you back. 
And nice. so Mark and I do that on nights when it's really hard. Nice. Uh, we, did, we, we did it. I did it the first night we ever worked together. Wow. And so we do it like before we did like the quarter of a million people on the mall mm. in DC. Yeah. We did it or a live show or an election night or something like that. Right. And then we do the show. And then, then, and then, then we do the show. And, and then after the show's over, we do a postmortem where we say, okay, how long is it? Did, are we on time? Are we short? Are we long? What are we doing? Like, if we're short, we run a few extra credits. Right. If we we run full credits, and if or we the band plays longer in the breaks. Yeah. Or uh, in the uh, the bumpers, we're never we're never short. We're right. always long. And if we're long, we go well. What beats can be lifted out of a guest, and we don't like, and we're not going to be broken hearted. Right. Yeah. Because there are times you just have to take stuff out. Like we took a ton out of your. We were very long. Interview, we? we're, but we're like we're we've. It's like 20 minutes yeah. and we have like 14. What do we do? Yeah. yeah. So um, that discussion happens. And then we say, what's happening tomorrow? Who are the guests? Anything I need to know? Is there any, is there, are we doing a, a bit with the guests? Is there a sketch? What do I have to read tonight? Is there, is there footage I have to see tonight before, before I go to bed to give you an answer? So in the morning we're ready to, you know, ready mm-hmm. to roll without, because the tomorrow is just going to be just as hungry as today was. Right. And there's no time tomorrow to change the schedule that I just gave you. That schedule has to be the schedule. Right. So, and then, um, then that's it. Then I go home. I take off my makeup and I go home. And that is probably, that's pushing 11 hours. Wow. That's and pushing 11 hours. Not, not including, tra- not, cl- not including um, uh, commute. Travel. Right. And that's on one yeah. cup of coffee you're doing that now. Now I'm doing it on one cup of coffee. That's, that's very good, Stephen. Billy, you and I do a massive amount of traveling Ooh. and we go through airports and we stay in hotels. And one of the things that gives me a lovely bit of peace of mind is having my own Express VPN account. Exactly, Dom, because when you're on somebody's Wi-Fi, you're in a hotel or you're in the airport, as you say, and you, you want to do some online banking and you're putting in your passwords, you don't want to be doing that. No. Not without a VPN. You want a nice little firewall to protect your personal information. You might be having a private conversation with someone. You might be sending them a script that's confidential. You need to know that it's safe. And with ExpressVPN, they keep all your information Nice and safe. And the great thing about ExpressVPN as well, it's rated number one by CNET, Wired, and The Verge. Love that. So secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash onion today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash onion, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash onion. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee is real, organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with lion's mane mushroom for productivity and chaga mushroom for immune support. I tell you what, Tom, Mm. I've been starting my day with Four Sigmatic ground mushroom coffee. (gasps) And instead of taking my regular coffee, I've been doing that in the morning. And I feel a difference, more focus, maybe even more creative. Oh, I love that. Mushroom coffee is also easy on the gut, so it doesn't leave you with that awful jittery feeling or a midday crash. Now, you're probably thinking, Dom, does it just taste the mushrooms? It doesn't. I can guarantee it tastes like delicious coffee. 
Yummy, yummy. So we've worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee, but this is just for the Friendship Onion listeners. Get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash onion. This offer is only for the Friendship Onion listeners and is not available on their regular website. You'll save up to 40% and get free shipping. So go right now to... F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash onion and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. Hey, Stephen, after so many years of you wearing suits for your job, do you have things that you will not accept in a suit now like it doesn't seem to be that you wear double-breasted suits do you have rules i've never liked bros- me a double-breasted me suit either. what am i am i am i am i stepping onto a yacht am i a commodore why am i wearing a double-breasted <laughs> suit? does it have does it have epaulets then don't make it double-breasted so that's because you can't be ca- you can't you can't have a casual moment in a double-breasted right, suit. Right. If you if you unbutton any of the buttons, you look like you're drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not a double-breasted fan. Anything I only else? I like I like a two-button. Okay. Yes. I like it. I like a two-button. Yeah. I like a tie that's medium thin. I do a four-in-hand knot. You know, mm. one loop over and then up. Yeah. You know. Can you do um, a, a bigger knot though? Do you know a Windsor? Can I do it? Can I do a Windsor? You want a half Windsor, double Windsor? What do you want? Well, I just need to know that you can do it. Can you tie a bow tie? I was going to treat Billy how to tie. I can tie a bow tie with my eyes closed. Good for you. Yeah, it's it's actually easier with your eyes closed. I love it. I love tying. I grew up in South Carolina. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and people actually wear bow ties down there. I love a bow tie. I love a bow tie. I like it too. I think it's good in the summertime, maybe a garden party or something like that. And how about this, Stephen? Obviously, you're well-versed in this world as well. If one of your guest producers comes to you 15, 20 minutes before the show is about to go on and says, this particular guest is having a nightmare, like they're having anxiety, they're clamming up, they're getting sweaty, I don't think this is going to go well, what skill set do you bring to that game to, to make them blossom? Well, I hope I could make them blossom. Um, I might just, I always say hi to the guests backstage right before they come on. Yeah. Um, but if they're really nervous, I might go to the dressing room okay. to say hi. Okay. But that's so rare. It so rarely happens. Really? Mostly, I find that my enthusiasm for the guest is all is necessary for the audience to be enthusiastic. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd be surprised, no matter how nervous a person is, when the audience claps when they hear their name, Boy, it really loosens people up. <laughs> the, the audience is such a benediction. You know, if the audience yeah. is happy to see them and laughs at anything they say or is wrapped attention to what they say, yeah. people generally loosen up a little bit. And if need be, I could just talk for 10 minutes and they could nod. Right. Yeah. Right. I always thought that would be a nice trick. Could I have a guest on and not let them talk the entire time? <laughs> well, I, I tell always you. had to do that with Daft I always had to do that with Daft Punk. Because I had them on. We were going to have them on. And they said they wanted to be guests. And they said, oh, this was a week before. They said, oh, but they can't talk. Right. <laughs> I said, Brilliant. So, they, so, but they want to be the guest, not a musical guest. Like, no, no, they don't want to perform. They want to be the guest on the show. Brilliant. And I said, okay, I'll take that challenge. 
And because on the old show, we only had six minute segments. Right. And so I said, I will ask them a six minute question. <laughs> and they can just sit there and nod. And that was the plan. Uh, and then Something different happened, which is also interesting, but that was the plan. Brilliant. That's great. I love that. Hey, Stephen, we can't have you on the Friendship Onion without talking about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, let's do it. Because <clears throat> you could, you could. I would still be happy to be here, but, but I would also Stephen, enjoy it. Come on, we, we have to. Uh, you're you're well known across the world as a bit of a Lord of Rings geek. Yes, I am. I believe uh, Peter Jackson called me the king oh. of the Lord of the Rings geeks. Love that. He called me the king, so I'm king geek. So return of the king, here we are. <laughs> here we go. Now you guys, you know, people who are listening to this probably know that you stumped me with Derndingle. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I felt bad about that. Yeah, Stephen. he felt bad at dinner. He felt. He you felt, felt bad. I didn't. I didn't even want to stump you. I, I wanted to ask a question that involved Treebeard, because I because sure. I, I love Merry and Pippin and Treebeard. I love that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I accidentally stumped you, but I am getting t-shirts done with Derndingle on it. <laughs> To be honest, <laughs> we will send you on. We, we will, will send. Sure, you. <laughs> you can get that treated now. Yeah. You've got Derndingle. <laughs> did do, do you think somewhere in your mind you knew it, or did you just? Oh, as soon as you said it. Oh, I knew really? That was the right answer. Oh, yeah. Was, that's why I was like, oh, yes. That's the look on your yes, face, Derndingle. Because but, I thought his was much harder. I thought his question was much more difficult. Come on, Shelob is a much more interesting subject True. than <laughs> what was the name? What was the name of the little hollow? True. Which yeah. is a, which is a dingle is a little a little holler. Well, like, as we like, all why, know, why exactly? Why like why that would be an interesting yeah. data point? I don't know. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's gonna ask me. He's gonna say name one of the other ants. I'm like, quick beam, right. whatever, you know. And why is he called quick beam? Well, why is he called quick beam? <laughs> we we don't know. Why, why is he called quick beam? beam? Because uh, he, he answered an older ant yeah. before the f older ant had actually finished asking the question. Ah. So it's called Quick Beam. Nice. I love But anyway, but that, see, now I'm just trying to shore up my reputation. So because good, Steven. So smoked me. Well, he smoked me. We, I, wa I wanted to get it right for you, Bill. I know, I know. I didn't want to let you down. Billy and I had said that we think that 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 Billy's question, it was almost like it was hiding in plain sight because as you said, it's such a throwaway thing that why would you need to know that? Whereas obviously, right. you know, the stuff about um, Shelob sure. is so much more dynamic. Right. Um, we yeah. won't ask you another question. No, we're not going to. Well, the question I would like to ask, and I, I do this with people who obviously over the years we've met people who love Tolkien and the world that he created and and have went on to do music. I've met people who, a, a wonderful guy, Casper uh, Reif, who, who's written music for every poem and every song in the book. Just oh, wonderful wow. people who are just, just love those world, that world, you know? Sure. And I always love to ask, how, how were you introduced to it? What, where did you read it first? Or who oh. told you about it? Where My friend, uh, I was in... I guess I was 12, maybe pushing 13. So I would have been in was it, was it seventh grade. Yeah. Something like that, whatever what you call it uh, uh, in your schooling system, but seventh grade for us, middle school. Yeah. And a friend of mine, Keith Sargi, 
And I wrote, I already read a lot of science fiction. I hadn't gotten into fantasy at all, but I'd already been reading a ton of science fiction, mm, yeah. like Golden Age, Heinlein, Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke. Yes, love uh, it. Some Silver Age stuff like Larry Niven and uh, Keith Lawmer. Uh, and he gave me The Lord of the Rings because he, 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 he said, you should read this. This is great. And I hadn't read The Hobbit. Yeah. And so I read The Lord of the Rings first. And I... I, it, the, it set the hook in so deeply. I remember the room I was in when I cracked open the the, the fellowship for the first time, and that artwork because it was a, a mid seventies version of the books that had Tolkien's original watercolors mm. of like of of uh, Bag End of the Hill in the yep. distance, Hobbiton and the Hill in the distance, and then the second one, the second book had. Um, I think uh, Lothlorien. Uh, it was it was meant to be Fangorn, I think, but I think it's actually a painting of Lothlorien. Mm. And then the third one had Baradur, a painting of Baradur on it, mm. by, all by Tolkien. And wow. I, I I I was completely entranced. I was enchanted. I was it was like I was under a spell. Mm. I remember being in the middle of the second book in the chapter that Orakai. You guys are being dragged across the plains yep. of Rohan. I remember lying on the couch for the first time reading it and realized I hadn't been breathing for like a whole page. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Going, and, and sitting up and going, because <sighs> <sighs> I was, and I was like, as if I had come out of deep water. Right. Yeah. And I never had, and I love reading. And I, I, I'd always love reading. And I, I read like a book a day, but I was so deeply in this world. Yeah. I was so consumed. I was, it was such like, it was, it was such like such like being transported into another world that uh, it, it's never let me go. There has never been a point in my life from that moment that it hasn't been part of my sort of continuing consciousness. Now, I read it a bunch when I was in high school and um, and then maybe didn't read it so much in, in, in college. But then I got out of college and I read it again. And that's really when I didn't stop. I probably was like 24 yeah, and I read it, and I realized that Aragorn is the Apollonian model of manhood, like the Greek ideal. Mm. He is great at a lot of different things, but you can't pigeonhole him. He is the perfect model of a man. Mm. He is uh, he is a hunter. He's a tracker. He's a healer. He's a warrior. He's a poet. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he, he he's he's a he's a um, a a a ruler he's a governor he's an administrator mm. um um he's a visionary he mm. can see he has he's far-sighted mm. like I, and i remember thinking oh well that's as as much as apollo is a is an ideal for the greeks mm. uh aragorn is that for um for me mm. yeah and, and now, of course now Aragorn's too great for anyone to aspire to. The Hobbits, really. Yeah, yeah. The Hobbits are the best any of us could possibly get. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. the Hobbits are us. Right, right. You know? And that's and, and we should be, we should love life as much as they do. Right. You know? Right. And take the wind and the rain and the suffering with, you know, grace the way they do. Right. But Aragorn is the model. Yeah. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question. I probably was 12. And Keith Sarge gave it to me. <laughs> but no, no, Hi, I love Keith that. And then, later, and then later I went and read The Hobbit. Right, wow. I did the opposite. I along I I grew up in a sort of um, uh, housing scheme in Glasgow, and we just played soccer, just played football. That's all the boys did, 
And one day, one of the boys was reading The Hobbit. And we said, what's this? You know, and, and for some reason, we all, like this group of like eight boys, all started reading The Hobbit at the same time. And we'd talk about it the next day. And it, it never, it was never repeated. It didn't go on to the Lord of the Rings. But there was this month where mm. this eight or ten boys in Cranhill, Glasgow, all read The Hobbit together apart. You know, in our own houses, reading, let's do two chapters tonight. And then we'd talk about it the next day. And amazing that Tolkien somehow got himself into even that place mm. and gave me a memory that, you know, I'll take to the grave of mm. these boys just saying, oh my, can you believe the dragon came yesterday? <laughs> you know, just unbelievable. But when I went to the Lord of Rings and it was um, Frodo rather than Bilbo, that stopped me right there. I wanted, sure. I wanted to read more Bilbo. Mm. And uh, so I never read it. So I was just really interesting. So was there other friends at that time, or was it just you and this one friend? Keith. Uh, Keith. It was just me, me, me and this one friend, and then I think everybody else. Like um, We started playing this game. I mean, you know, everybody knows what it is now, but back in the time, nobody knew. Dungeons and Dragons. We were playing Dungeons right. and Dragons. And, and I started playing it in 1977. I mean, I, I actually think it hadn't been... Up until then, it had just been a few small circle of people that knew Gary Gygax, the guy who created it. Right. So, like, the week it arrived in Charleston, South Carolina, me and my friends started playing it. Because right. we'd been playing another game before that called Metamorphosis Alpha, which was also created by Gygax, which is essentially Dungeons & Dragons, but in space. Mm. It was science fiction. It was a science fiction role-playing game. Okay. And it didn't really take off. I don't know why. You guys know it? No, no but Billy loves science fiction-based stuff, so that's And I've gem. never okay. played Dungeons uh, & Dragons, but if we oh, can get a sci-fi one, I'm in. Yeah. I don't know whether you can... Well, if you like sci-fi, have you ever read Heinlein's Universe? Like, the, the story Universe? No. Nope. Which is based on... It's... it's um, you really enjoy it. It's really, it's a classic. It's, it's, it's the idea of there's a colony ship so large. I have when, read it. Because that when the civilization on the ship falls on its way to Alpha Centauri or Proxima Centauri or whatever it yeah. is, that the people who continue to live forget that it's a ship. Oh, no, I haven't. And <laughs> they forget there's a ship. And, and there are parts of the ship that they're not supposed to go to, mm. which is the, 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 which we find out later, which are the less less um, uh, shielded parts of the ship from uh, cosmic radiation, okay, yeah. and people go up there basically end up having generations of mutant children, and so there's the muties, the muties who live closer to the hub of the ship, and then, yeah. and the the closer you get to the and it's 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 you know centripetal force, you know false gravity, the closer you get to the middle, the less you weigh, it freaks people out because what why 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 do you get lighter the closer you go, right. and you run into mutants. And one person has the courage to go all the way into the center and get to the old captain's quarters. And they go, oh, my God, this is a ship. Oh, really? And they realize, oh, we're on a ship. They think it's the whole yeah. universe. Of course. And that's why the short story is called Universe. And so Metamorphosis Alpha is essentially based on that, where you're on this colony ship that has propagated all these mutations that you have to fight to survive. Love it, and basically get the ship on back on course. And so it's it, it in in some ways it was like a sandbox the way D and D is, but 
unlike D and D, it was bounded. Yeah. In and so it didn't, you're it didn't on the give the freedom. It was on the ship was bounded. But it's a really great game. We played that for about a week before D and D came out. And then we went, Oh, this is way better. And then we started playing D and D. I don't think you can get Metamorphosis Alpha. Good luck. Unless yeah. Jane find um, it. And we'll do get it. that book as well. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, it's just a short story. And then um, and then I played D and D with my friends, and everybody in the D and D circle ended up reading Tolkien. Nice. And uh, what, by the way, we say Tolkien. We don't say Tolkien, Tolkien. and I know that's wrong. Well, no. But we always say Tolkien. Nothing you see is wrong. Billy's here, always Stephen. been extremely well spoken, apart from the word licorice, which he says like this: licorice. I'm not sure that's correct. I think that's probably... You say licorice? Yeah. Licorice. Licorice, right? But that's all right. Licorice. Yeah. Licorice. Um, I don't know. I, so you might like this, Stephen. I played D&D during COVID lockdown as a halfling, and I saved the day three or four times in a row for my crew. At one point, I jumped off a roof and in the air managed to roll a perfect 20 and threw flying stars at these characters that were killing my crew on the ground. So midair, I pulled these flying stars out of, the, out of my back and killed the people that were attacking them on the ground. Were you a halfling thief? What were you? I was, a halfling, I was a halfling monk. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was super sure. good. I've never played. Sure. I've been trying to get Billy to play for a long time because Billy has a brilliant mind and he's very imaginative, but he is more science fiction based than anyone else. And we did a podcast that said, well, if you want to do a science fiction based podcast, there's almost like a Star Trek based yeah. D&D and Billy almost took his clothes off. Yeah, I would wow. do that. I would do that. Do you have a favorite uh, sci-fi uh, uh, world? Or, or, or kind of know, universe. You know, I do universe, love... Universe, cosmology, what? I love the Star Trek universe. I think it's brilliant. Sure. I love it. I agree. I, I'm trying to remember the book that I thought you were talking about. You might help me here. A ship comes into our solar system. It's a big ship. They go up to see where it is. There's nothing there. But then it slowly starts to evolve. Into, the ship does. Yeah. So, like, um, water comes, and then single cells become fish, and, you know, and it becomes more, it's, a, it's brilliant. I'll, I'll figure out what it is, Google and I'll send you that. it. That was probably my favorite sci-fi um, experience reading the book. It's not part of the Star Tide Rising series, is it? No, I don't think so. I think there's only okay. two books. Okay. I'll, to, I'll, I'll remember. To get back to Rings for a second, when I, I think... That that is sorry. Well, you guys will love it anyway. My the most heartbroken I've ever been finishing a book was Lord of the Rings. It's not my favorite book of all time, although it's probably in the top three or four books that I've ever read. But when Sam says, you know, okay, well, you know, I'm home and that's me, and I'm just gonna kind of till my garden. And when I closed that book at that point, I remember thinking. Really? Like, is there no more in that book? That was, yeah. I, I almost didn't finish it because of the feeling of heartbreak. And my mom, yes. my dad read the book, you know, a lot of times and told me when I was a kid, you're not quite ready to read it yet. And then when I was kind of 14, 15 said, okay, now you can read it. But when my parents came to visit me in New Zealand, my dad had read it multiple times. My mom hadn't. And I jokingly said to my mom, mom, you can't come to New Zealand and meet, Pippin and meet Gandalf and meet Aragorn and not know exactly who these people are. You're going to have to read the book. And my mom said, oh, wizards and magic and swords and dragons. I don't want to. And I said, it's not, it's not that, mom. It's not that. It's people. It's, a, it's, it's about people. It's about characters like all the great 
books are. And I, met, I, I uh, got her to agree to read the first 100 pages. I just said, read the first 100 pages. If you don't like it, we'll drop it. She read the first 100 pages and loved the book and finished it and was in love with Andy Serkis mm. and, and Elijah. Oh, in fact, this is a really, I think you know this story. When I was, when I was 16, studying drama at college and English lit, I went into Manchester and hung around outside theatres, hoping to meet working actors to ask them their advice about how I could become an actor and all this kind of stuff. I was outside the Palace Theatre in Manchester and an actor came out who I recognised from kind of TV in England. And I said, oh, can, can I ask you a question? And, and he stopped and said, yeah, of course. I said, I'm trying to be an actor. I'm studying drama and I don't know what to do next. He said, oh, well, that's great. You're studying drama. He said, you know, do as many plays as you can and try and get involved in regional theatre and then maybe you can do drama college and that's how it worked for me and, you know, good luck to you and all this kind of stuff. And signed a little autograph and walked off. That was Andy Circus, And I only found that out. I know, right? I only found that out about a year into filming. Do you remember that yeah, moment? Yeah, yeah. Where I said to Andy, wow. he was in the makeup trailer with the Hobbits chatting. And I was like, Andy, like, I, don't, I can't work this out, but I feel like we've met before. Maybe it's just because you're an actor on TV. And suddenly I was like, wait, did you do a play at the Palace Theatre? And we put mm -hmm. it together. Yeah. So he really put me on a path. To do to become a professional actor, and then years later we're in the trilogy together. Crazy stuff. That's man. fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Well, Dom, that was the fantabulous Stephen Colbert. Is that a good description? Fantab. It's a made-up word. I don't know if it is. You know, I think that's in the dictionary. Fantabulous. If you could uh, have a look for that for us and write into John, the could you look up fantabulous in the dictionary to see if it's there? Dot com. Um, what a lovely inspiring, wonderful chap. Yeah, and what, I mean, must be a great lover of uh, books. He's read a lot yeah, of books. Yeah, yeah, I think he's one of those minds, isn't he? But I love that. Yeah. I, I love I, when he was talking about um, not breathing through a whole oh, page. Yeah. I mean, being able to put your mind so much mm. into a, a story. Wonderful. That was a great chat, Tom! That was a great one! I've actually, I don't think I've ever seen you be so beguiled, certainly by another man. When you first met me, it's hard for me to yeah. see you meeting me because I'm having the moment. But probably when you met me for the first time, you were utterly wowed. I was wowed. I didn't sleep that but night. But in being the third person watching you interact with Stephen Colbert, you tickled pink. I you? find him absolutely intriguing and enchanting. Yeah, I, I think do. if he were to just say, write to you personally on an email and say, hey, listen. I'm free Thursday night. Do you want to get dinner? I think you'd jump on a plane to New York, wouldn't you? I would, I would. Yeah, that if he said to me, let's start a podcast, I would leave this one and go would with you, it. Would you ditch me? That's fine. <laughs> no, That's fine. I wouldn't, I am slightly. I wouldn't, Dom. Right. I, I would mind. not. You can have other male lovers. <laughs> it's fine. John, is fantabulous in the dictionary? Could we, get, could we have the definition, William? And the definition of fantabulous is... <clears throat> Excellent or wonderful. Now, you've learned something there, haven't you? You well, thought I made up a gibberish word like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. But when did it become a word? Ah. Does it tell you that in the Oxford uh, English Dictionary? Do you know what the word is to describe the uh, origin and history of a word? Do you, know that that, do you know what that word is? No. Etymology. The study of words. Is no, etymology. I think you'll find that's the study of insects. That's entomology. 
Thank you. <laughs> Etymology is the study of words. Oh, I'm only, Bam! I'm giving it to you because I'm uh, oh, hold on. threatened. 1957. I thought it was a new word. I Ish. thought it was new. Ish. Because you'll never see somebody in a period drama, say for instance. <laughs> yeah, Downton Abbey. The Downton Abbey saying, that's fantabulous. Oh, the uh, the place was fantabulous, Carlson. He's almost four years her senior. It's absolutely fantabulous. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, what a, what a fantastic, fantabulous episode with Mr. Stephen Colbert. And... Uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. You've got plastic in your mouth. Uh, off my water bottle, then. If you send us a review, because Billy and I do look through the reviews every so often, it might end up on our social media pages, and every so often it shows up on the pod- podcast for us to talk about. If you want to email us, it's... The Friendship Onion at castmedia.com Or you can send us a voice message at speakpipe.com forward slash... The Friendship Onion, and we will see you guys. Don't forget to rate, uh, 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 review, and subscribe. You just said that. Did you? Yeah. I wasn't listening to that. You don't listen to me anymore. You are fantabulous. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. See you next week. Toodles. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.